We are recording. Is everybody's We're live? recording. Accenting your favorite features. Facial expressions um, are coming through. Michelle's got her lipstick. How do I turn my mic on? <laughs> <laughs> do I need uh, to turn off my other devices? Oh, man. I love it. Okay, so. You didn't hold any bunnies, did you? You didn't hold any bunnies, Philip. No, I didn't touch the bunnies. But I did. I don't know if you guys noticed. I snuck in to celebrate experience and stole two pieces of chocolate cake. I saw that. I knew what you were doing. I that is Lynn Hall's. I went to Kava and got me a healthy lunch. And then I topped it off with a two pieces of chocolate cake. Woo! Well, to be would... fair. They're, she cuts them small so she does cut them small and and I, it was a tough decision i've got one and i was like that's not gonna cut it and then i was like two and then i really kind of thought that's not gonna cut it but it feels weird behave three do those cookies i don't know what type of cookies those were or who brought them but those were amazing <laughs> okay so terry marshall brought them and the smoother ones were pecan sandy kind of thing yeah nope. yes okay nice. so she brought those did you have let's see the chicken pot pie was to die for there Stop. was homemade <laughs> fried chicken and shay made wait you gotta let me finish this i think you know shay made chicken alfredo with spinach oh my yes. that was really good it was really good. Welcome to Second Take at Eastlake, a podcast of Eastlake Community Church in Irmo, South Carolina. You are invited to join us any Sunday at 9 or 11. That sounds good. Yeah. I think I'm going to go get a second lunch after this. Yeah, there yeah. was a lot good. I mean, there's a lot of other things I could mention. So, but. Yeah. Okay, so so um, we're going to do things a little bit different, just a little bit different. We're going to try to make this podcast 45 minutes I'm in. Um, because it's happier with the upload. Last time I had to upload it like five or six times before it would stick. I guess I don't really understand how or why, but we're going to try 45 minutes today. Plus, so that means you have to give the best information that you have on any question, topic, subject, or anything and get it out there. Sound good? And we have to abbreviate the game, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe we skip yeah. that today. Maybe. maybe you just speak in half words and just use like the get rid of all the vowels like went, snort, day, 12. That, that takes more work. Yeah. Okay. Bro. Well, I have a game that I'll give you. Have you ever played Poetry for Neanderthals? Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah, we do need to Where play. Where you have to speak in single syllables. Oh. To get them to guess a word. I like that. So I want to, so let's just do this um, then. Well, we'll officially play it in a little while, but Rob's been across the country. Well, um, doing wild things but the only way we want to hear his story about being across the country because we only have 45 minutes is to hear it in single syllables so rob you have two minutes single syllables 
I can't. I can do. I can just do. I can do. Uh, I can do a sentence for country, <laughs> or or something like that. So so all I'm going to say about Scotland, haggis. Mm. So stinking good. So stinking good. I thought it was going to be awful because everyone told me it would be awful. Well, tell me what it is. I don't even know what it, it is. It is the organs of the sheep. In its stomach. Got some grains and, and they use the stomach to cook them. Can I've you throw never, it on a grill? Nope, all kinds of ways. I've never can you, liked Can you smoke liver. it with some, some uh, what's that? Uh, I mesquite? did have a smoked one. I did have a smoked haggis on a, on a panini sandwich bread. Phenomenal. I had deep fried haggis. I had a haggis spread. I mean, I went all in on the haggis. So Scotland is going to be summed up by Haggis and William Wallace. Um, London is going to be summed up by fish and chips uh, and walking the all the the royal the royal things because you know I'm like I'm like a monarchy guy. I study the the English monarchy, so we got to walk on all of those places and see where the king lives and Clarence House and and uh, that was pretty cool. So that was royal, and we saw Wicked the musical in the theater district. Uh, and then Paris, people, stinky, and messy. People in Paris are stinky and messy? That's rude. The city smells. The city smells. Oh, the city smells. Yeah, it's beautiful sights, great pictures. It is It, it is a crowded mess in Paris. Went to well, the to be fair, I was in Charleston this weekend briefly, and uh, it had a unique smell. Went to the Louvre. So many people. Had to basically run to see the Mona Lisa, run to see the Venus de Milo. It was awesome. Don't mishear me. The best part of this entire trip was not the haggis. It was the incredible relationships I got to build with amazing young people. There were It That's was a cool. student trip through the school, and I got to oversee four directly and hang out with 28 students in all from around our district from uh, Chapin, Spring Hill, and Dutch Fort. And so it was, that, that was my highlight of the whole thing. That's and pretty cool. Course, oh, the Harry Potter tour. We walked, the, we walked, we saw all kinds of Harry Potter stuff. Mm. I don't really care, but my daughter did, and I sent her pictures of all of it. So, and it makes you the hero of your daughter's well, eyes, which hero. you already were, but we'll take it even more. We can never be too. And if you look at my Instagram, you'll see pictures of the best tour director in all of England, Russell Fleet. Incredible nice. guy. Nice. Well, welcome back, dude. While you there were gone, um, spring break happened. Everybody did fun things. We sat around and looked at each other and wondered what Rob was doing. Oh, man. That's was, about it. That's yes, all you missed. Free food at Kava. We enjoyed free food we enjoyed at Kava. Kava. Nice. We stayed really busy and had a Good great times. time. Yeah, we ate at Kava. I was able to get some work done. Whenever I was on a train or a plane, I would pull out my iPad and do a little work, like work on sermons and yeah. work through stuff that people had put in teams. But besides that, it was pretty much go, go, go all day. 22,000 steps a day was the average. That's a lot wow. of stepping. Our lowest, step day, our lowest step day was 17,000 steps. Wow. All right, guys. Well, let's get to it because everybody's going to get jealous that they didn't get to do that. Um, and let's go, let's, let's get to this sermon series. Oh my gosh, Michelle, you kicked off the sermon series. I How did. Do you feel, Michelle? Well, it depends on which service you were at. <laughs> oh, that you, are you telling me there was a good sermon and a bad sermon? 
well, there was a better sermon for sure, and there definitely was less distractions at the second service. So you'll no, have that. The best part of that is is the fact that you made the illustration of good, better, and best. Yeah. <laughs> In the sermon. Mm -hmm. I just want to say this before yeah. you really get started. I want to thank you for coordinating with me to make Pastor Michelle's life just a little bit difficult as we are heading into her ordination. So all the stuff that we added in and layered on Sunday first service was a good way of testing her out. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I Love mean, maybe all. we did it on purpose. Maybe. You'll never, you'll never know. <laughs> Yeah, in the first service, yeah. in case you guys are wondering, there's like a squeaking animal in the air conditioning system that we've been trying to get to work, get to fix. But every time people come to fix it, it won't do it. It's just like when you take your yeah. car in, you're like, I swear there's a dead animal in here screeching every Sunday. And they're like, oh, yeah. And, um, and then it was hot as Hades. And, and then it got cold as Antarctica. Yeah. And yeah crazy so wow it was a little bit for everybody it oh it was, a, it was it really was a fun sunday and one of my favorite parts that i just gotta say is even if we didn't lead worship if we didn't preach if we didn't do anything one of the coolest parts to me of our church is watching people hang out after church is over our people yeah. stick around and they visit and they do community and they check in on each other. And I don't know if this is true, but I always feel like a sign of a healthy church is how long people stick around. You mm. know, not, and it was a great sermon and a great Sunday, but I always tell myself that whenever I feel like, oh man, I don't know why, I don't know who, who, who gave me this guitar? What am I doing up here? And I'm always like, but look at all the people enjoying life and community and each other. And so yep. it, it is church is so many things. And I love that East Lake is not just about us being perfect because we're not. So, no, we are not. We are not. We are we not. Are not. Um, actually, you want to know a funny story that I can tell briefly is in the second service. I had a transpose button on the keyboard because one of the songs is hard to play. And I transposed the keyboard, but forgot to transpose it back. And it sounded horrible because I was playing in one key and everybody came in in what should have been the right key. But my favorite part that I'll only share here is that nobody thought I was wrong because I was killing it in the wrong key. I was just playing <laughs> all those notes. Everybody else thought everybody else in the band messed up. They're looking at it and I'm like, and even I was at the first, I was like, what is wrong, guys? Come on, get on my level over here. And then next thing you know, I was like, oh, it's me. Snap. But, oh, I love that. <laughs> just uh, so you know, we're all human. But all right, so we're in a new sermon series called When Helping Hurts. And uh, this is a core curriculum. You said that, Michelle, on Sunday. And so one of the things we're going to do on the podcast is say a lot more wise and answer the question to a lot more wise. So I'm just going to start us off. Why is when helping hurts a core curriculum? Well, Ray. <laughs> oh, Ray you see how she silence. just deferred to me and he did say Michelle. Well, oh, did you say Michelle? I it was like it's, she caught it and then tossed it to you, yeah. Ray. So like, oh, hey, I can it's a hot potato I, you know, you're oh, a fearless God. leader 
why is it a core <laughs> curriculum for you? So oh for God. me, um, I mean, I've been in church world as long as these guys have been. And um, one thing that I learned early on, especially from my last church experience, more than where I was ordained and licensed and all that, was you could do a lot of great things for the community, but end up wounding them in the process. And, and so I learned at my last church, not because we made a lot of mistakes, this, this, this book was introduced to our staff and we were asked to take a good hard look at all of the community engagement that we had been doing for over 50 years. This church was over 50 years old. And we had to lament that, especially when it uh, got to our missions, that we had done a lot of damage. And it was all um, accidental. We thought we were doing great things to help the people that we were attempting to love. But unfortunately, we probably caused, and we did, more damage than we did help them. And so when I came to Eastlake, and Eastlake has has always been about community. Um, that's what I've learned. And, and we have a, a, um, a very generous church. Um, I was asked to look at how we as a church engage the community as well as assess what was the community of Eastlake itself like and try to do some things to make us better. And when Helping Hurts, I, I brought it with me and basically said, hey guys, let's read this. Let's figure out where do we have areas that we can improve on. And it started with the care team, which is that ministry that's specific to um, helping those that come to us hurting, whether it's a part of our, our body or people in the community. And then we went from that to looking at how we engage the community and then how we did missions. And so that's why we, we're doing it even now and why it's a core curriculum, because we realize that we have people coming every week and, and that are new to Eastlake and don't know how and why we spend our money the way we do, um, why we address the needs of the people in our body as well as outside of our body. And when Helping Hurts will give you all the context you need to align yourself or just understand why we do things the way we do. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's a great, my very last seminary class at Moody, this book had just come out and I was doing an urban ministry community ministry class with Dr. John mm -hmm. Fugger. And he gave us this book and he was also the, the guy that got me into Dr. John Perkins beyond charity. And so what I love about When Helping Hurts is it takes where John Perkins went with it, with helping the community with felt needs and all these things and making sure that the gospel is in the midst of all of it. And it gives it even more practical ways of how to categorize what you're doing so you don't do that damage. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, all we have is got a picture of it. It's glaring. There it's you glaring. go. There yeah, is. it was glaring, but they got it then. So, you know, I think that one of the things that I appreciate, Ray, about your leadership is how much you um, love groups and understand that discipleship, um, a lot of it takes place in groups and that you want this information to go out to everybody in our body. And that makes it so much better when we're trying to do something. If all of our small group leaders and all our people are trying to serve and when we send people on mission, it is just so helpful for us to all be on the same page because we could have a lot of differing opinions about how to help people. 
And if we are not educated throughout the body, then we would be spending a lot of time um, kind of fussing or at one another about, well, why are we doing this? And why are we not doing that? Where if everyone will kind of latch on to these core curriculums and go through them, they will be much more prepared to serve and be a part of our body in an effective way because they will understand what we understand. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's a, that's a really good segue too to this question that I wanted to ask Michelle. Really anybody, anybody can answer this, but well, Michelle's gonna do, off, so. yeah, Michelle's going to hot potato that sucker over to Rob. <laughs> Um, um, but why do we want people to be, that's another why here, but why do we want people to be in a small group studying alongside the sermon series? Cause in case people haven't noticed, I'll just say every time we start a new sermon series, you'll start to hear us talk about grab two friends or we're doing a group tonight. And, and we try to get people into these discipleship opportunities. And why does that matter? I mean, that's a lot of work for you, Michelle. It is, but it's good work. Um, it matters for a couple of reasons. One, it matters because you need relationships. God designed you that way. Um, and we live in such an independent culture uh, in America. We value independence. And I'm a pretty independent person. But Jesus designed us to be in community. Um, and so it meets that need. And if you're not in community and you find yourself in a crisis, then you don't have anyone to walk alongside you, where if you will get into community at one of these times that we invite you to, then if something happens in your life, you, you have a loss, you know, a job change, some sort of crisis in your family, you have people to support you. Um, and because we have, I don't know, 12 or 1500 people that call East Lake home, probably. Um, that's not our attendance on Sunday morning, but just on attendance patterns. And there's no way that we can provide that personal care as pastors. You need to have a group around you. And then the last thing is, I don't know about all of you, but I can be really perfect if I don't, if I get out of bed and I never go outside the four walls of my house, mm-hmm. but I really get an opportunity to grow when I'm in community and you have to kind of navigate the challenges of relationship. And so, you know, it's important that we be challenged to grow and to get along with people. And if you don't ever get into community, then you can just, you can feel perfect mm-hmm. inside your four walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Danger. There, Fiercest lover of people are the individuals that are immersed in a community full of them. Yeah. You hear a lot about these, uh, about these rogue individuals that go off and commit, you know, mass shootings and stuff like that. These are people that tend to have drifted away from community and stewed in their own goo um, about their own ideas. And, and so when you allow yourself to um, be challenged by other people's beliefs, as well as to be uh, buffered by their beliefs, you're the better for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. I find that like, I don't, I used to think that I was rare that I don't retain information well. 
And I'll share that with people all the time because I just have to, because I have to have the humility to say like, hey, might forget this. Um, I just don't re retain information well. And for me, especially on a Sunday morning, there's so many moving parts and things that I'm doing. It's hard for me to retain information. It's not actually until I go back and prepare for this podcast that I can actually let some of the truths sink in. And I feel like in community, the same thing happens. So if you're Absolutely. out there like me, I'm, I don't think I'm that rare. I struggle to retain the information. I just, I hear a sermon and, and it's great. I'm like, all right, amen. And then it's, it's gone. Um, but whenever I put it into conversation, like we're doing right now and really discuss and break down ideas, it sticks differently. Mm -hmm. And um, you even said that in your sermon. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I did. It wasn't written in there, but it's true. And it's something that I tell our leaders when we're training and we think of in Rooted, you know, you only retain about five, 10 percent of what you hear in a lecture format. But if you do what's called discovery learning, which is talk about it, implement it, do an exercise about it, you start to retain like 80% of it. So that's another reason, mm -hmm. you know, you just, you grow when you do things with people. You do. Mm -hmm. And right, but something you said, and you, you almost said this, this, this phrase, so I just want to add it in there. As a multicultural church, getting in a small group where you can experience those different positions enables you to swim in the multicultural waters more deeply. Because whether somebody's culturally different from you on the surface, we all come from the pod of a family that we were brought up in and communities that we were influenced by. And so in every small group, you'll have all these different cultures that are coming together and figuring out how to celebrate in the diversity and find the unifying factors. And I think that's really important. Yep. That is true. I uh, I didn't realize how much my life was missing that multicultural aspect until moving here. Like I just didn't know, you know, it's a really easy thing to go a while without. And um, my life is definitely more multicultural these days and stronger because of it. So it's mm -hmm. important. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, one of the things that, that we actually talked about today, Michelle, that was fun about the commentary and Ray brought this up and I agree a hundred percent. It was really cool that we have a woman pastor preaching and she refers to a commentary by an African-American theologian. I'm going to say theologian um, in Tony Evans. Yeah. And yep. so you, you referenced Tony Evans in here and Ray, just because it was you who said this first, it wasn't me. Explain why that mattered so much. I already know, but I want you to say it from your words. Why is that so important? So I'll use my library, for example, and I'll date it about 10, 15 years ago. Um, if you look through the, the bulk of the books that I had, you would discover that most of them are from the same culture. Now, I'm an African-American, in case you didn't know, and most of the authors that I was reading were all European, Anglo, Saxon in descent. Um, that means that I began to think a particular type of way. Um, what Pastor Michelle showed us this past Sunday was how she intentionally um, has diversified what it is that she's studying, 
and reading and forming her theology around. I mean, yeah, you have these anchor points, but there's nothing wrong with, okay, I wonder how does he see this? Like for instance, um, I have an African Bible commentary that gives me the perspective of the very people that is closest to where all of this happened. Culturally, they see this differently than us. And so when I'm looking at my Strong's Concordance or my Matthew Henry commentary, and I'm weighing it against how people from Africa or Egypt actually see this text, it gives me a wider scope of just how vast and deep your inter our interpretations of the text can can go. And mm -hmm. so my challenge to each of you is to go through your library mm -hmm. and, and find out, is your library diverse? Do you I'm have- I'm gonna need to get a library, right? Authors. Yeah, yeah Philip uh, needs to go get a library. I'm gonna need to get a library? <laughs> Do, I mean, whatever books you have, I mean, how many of the authors are male? versus female. I actually have a great example of this as I make a joke about my library. I just keep everything online because I don't have it. But a great example of this that when you were talking, I was just thinking of is I've been doing a study on John and just reading the words of Jesus in John. And so first I just read it. I've been at probably about three weeks in now and just me reading it. And then now I'm going back and looking at different people's commentaries on these words of Jesus in John. And one of the wildest, weirdest things that somebody, and I, I don't even know that I agree with it, but it's a different perspective, okay? It's just a different perspective is he's looking at the woman at the well and making this realization that sin was never mentioned. What? I read a post about this. It yes. was, I, it yes. blew my mind. And, and I'm not, I, I haven't done enough of a deep dive, but just to show what different, how different people can see things and go read it. John four, there's nothing ever mentioned that she was in sin. And then it's like, what does that mean? Was she abused? Was she, I mean, and I'm not saying she was, but all I'm saying is why do we make the assumption that she was living in sin? There's a lot of reasons why there could have been six men in her life. I'm not making any theological assumptions. All I'm saying is diversity of input opens your eyes so it's just it's just interesting yeah you probably saw that from the same place that i saw it but yeah i was fascinated by that post but i haven't um thought of it at the right time to go back but you know he basically said if she was barren and yeah. her husband's divorced her because there were no children she could have gone through six husbands as a barren woman it doesn't mean that she was a prostitute which is the assumption that is most often made. And so I, I just find it fascinating. It really is true that sometimes somebody with a fresh perspective can really open the scriptures and expose you to assumptions you don't know are there because mm -hmm. we all bring assumptions to our reading that we're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. And so when you have somebody with fresh eyes, look at it and you say, oh my goodness, the text does not say that she was a prostitute or that she was living in sin. And so where, where did we get that from? And how have we passed that down to each other all these years? Because that's how I hear that passage preached all the time. I probably have done it. And, and what yeah. we do 
is if we put our filter on and we don't know it, you know, just this is related to the trip, but it's related to this. I'm with a bunch of teenagers. And one of the phrases I kept hearing was they're driving on the wrong side of the road or they're doing this wrong or and because and, they're young. And so I remember I gathered a group of them around me at one point and had this very discussion, not about theological commentaries, but you'll actually find this in One Helping Hurts too later on. This idea of different is not wrong. So right. but our filter will immediately cause us to go, that's wrong, because it feels wrong. That can happen to us as we're reading scriptural commentaries and scriptural, you know, input from people, or people, people's input about scripture, because our filter is there. And if we're not intentional about going like this and taking it off and maybe even changing up the glasses, we're going to be in trouble. By the end of the trip, it was really cool because the phraseology changed in the group of students I was with to, wow, that's different. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was very excited about that for them because their worldview has now been potentially changed and transformed. And our biblical worldview changes when we read different, not always wrong. Sometimes there are wrong theologians out there. Don't mishear me. But just because it's different doesn't make it wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's just think about how many of us when we read, when we heard that Adam was with Eve when she ate. How long had we been reading or hearing this sermon preached that we were completely oblivious to the fact that Adam wasn't taking a vacation? He was there while she was having the conversation with the serpent and he ate too. Or, or, or how many times when, we re- when we're reading through the Christmas story and we made assumptions about, oh, yeah, the wise men were there, too. Mm-hmm. They weren't at the manger. <laughs> right. But yeah. this is the danger when we don't read and study the Bible for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you know what's fun, too, in, in these instances is it also makes scripture really fun i mean for me i really Mm -hmm. enjoy that like i enjoy like it doesn't mean i'm about to go build a theology off of one person's commentary it's more that i enjoy hearing, and then it makes me think okay well let me research this a little bit and i believe it or not guys the musician over here does kind of geek out over that stuff and it it does it it does ignite my mind and start me thinking well i want to read what jesus said or you know and and it's it's inspirational it's a good thing and a lot of times we're threatened or depending on how we're raised we could potentially be threatened by other ideas and this doesn't mean i'm telling everybody to change their theology i'm just saying just listen to other voices well, Philip, something you said, a lot of times we actually are influencing, our, our theology is influenced by one stream of people. Mm-hmm. And so, so what's great is I, I would challenge us to allow other streams to intersect with our stream and, and dilute the water and divert the water. Um, it doesn't mean you have to let go of a biblical truth that you've held on to. It just means what if you got another set of eyes and mm-hmm. looked at it from the left side instead of the right side and realized, oh, wow, that is a perspective I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And when you're driving around anywhere in the world, but for me most recently in Edinburgh, depending on which side of the town you're on, you have a different view of the castle. The castle looks completely different, but it's the same castle from, mm-hmm. the, from the east, the north, the south, and the west. And yeah. once you get there, you're like, oh, it's all the same thing. 
I think that's what we need to start thinking about in our theological things is to say, what do, what do African-American commentators say? What do Asian commentators say? Hispanic women, men, from and it begins to really give us a fresh look at what God was saying. And, and Tony Evans is a great one to go listen to. A great one. I mean, you could get lost in Tony Evans' um, messages and things. As long um, as it brings you back to the castle, which is the scripture, you should be looking at it from all those different sides. Right. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Um, so, Michelle, I I really was excited about the portion of your message where you were reading the scripture with the video. Mm. And, um, because... I don't know. I felt like when we were meeting and you were discussing it and kind of describing the way the scripture made you feel, I it, it your passion ignited passion in me. And mm. I just got inspired and I really liked, especially in the second service, I really liked the way that moment went. And like, can you explain to people, just because not everybody gets not everybody reads scripture and gets that inspired, but can you just kind of describe what's it like for you when you do experience scripture like that? So people yeah. can kind of understand if they never have felt that before. Right. So part of my process is to read the passage in multiple versions. Um, and I normally or often read it in the message. I don't often use that to preach from um, but Eugene Peterson, you know, paraphrased the Bible um, in the message, and um, some of it is just so poetic and beautiful. And so when I started reading this, I actually stopped and read it out loud. I'm like, and I'm sitting in my chair in the living room, and I'm like, we look at this sun and see the God who can't be seen. Like, we forget that Jesus... Yeah, and, and Jesus came to show us who God is, and we have all these misconceptions of God, and we think God is this, you know, angry old man up in, in the heavens smiting people, um, and, you know, when you start, when you read a translation, or, or rather a paraphrase like that, you really get the beauty and it brings it into our context and with our language. And I just got excited. I mean, it excited me to read it. And I was like, well, if I'm this excited reading it in my chair, I've got to somehow translate this to the people. Yeah. And, um, and I think it also perfectly illustrated something that I have. I followed somebody for years who talks about the Jesus lens, which I mentioned. <laughs> And it's a theological concept, but it's an easier way to understand it when you say that. Yeah, look at Ray's putting his shades on. <laughs> and so I just, the whole idea of people getting a better understanding of who God really is as a person excites me. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think most of us get who God is as a person. I didn't used to. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think I'm alone in that. So mm -hmm. that's, it excited me. It's good. Yeah. And that's why I wanted you to describe it, because if people are struggling to experience that um, in scripture reading, hearing you describe that might inspire people to go, you know, read some scripture out loud and see, yeah. how it, you know, because it, it is very, very strong. Um, um, there was something I wanted to ask you guys, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got it. I just remembered. So this whole idea of pursuing God in a relationship 
pursuing a relationship with God, which then helps us to pursue others, which is what, and when helping hurts, let's go back to when helping hurts in case we haven't connected that dot. It's to, to help the people around you, right? So mm-hmm. without hurting them. So why is it so important to pursue God? Why can't I, like, why can't I fast track this and just go um, to my neighbors and mow their lawn and call it a day? Why do I have to pursue God first? I, I know the answer. I'm just getting us talking about it. I'm not that crazy, but let's talk about it. Why is it so <laughs> crucial? Because mowing their lawn may not be really what they need. Sure, mowing their lawn may make you feel good, you know, especially if you are the neighbor that isn't into your lawn like that. And they and they are, they're obsessive about it. And so it it, it scratches an itch for you, but it doesn't address what they really need. And so the best way to learn how to love other people well is to love the person, learn how to be in love with and love the creator of those people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this huge campaign out right now and people still are trying to figure out what is it. And it's called, he gets us. I'm not going to spend time there, but what's really good is when you get him. Mm-hmm. See, when you get him, then you see people the way he does. <laughs> and that passion alone is what ignites you to want to pursue those that are the considered the lost sheep or the wounded sheep with all that you are, because you know that's what he would do if he was in you. Yep. Yeah. You know, I think some of the discussions we've had around here, for instance, like when somebody is sick or in need of something and we'll say, hey, do we need to get a meal train together for them? Well, one of the first things we need to do is ask the family, do they want a meal train? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that we're not organizing something that makes us feel better about their circumstance. Maybe they have incredibly... they. When my son was young, he had a lot of allergies and it was, people were very challenged about feeding him. And so to set up a meal train could put pressure on me um, because people are bringing all this food that we can't eat in our family. And so it's just, we think we're helping, but we need to ask the person's permission. What do they really need? Because they might need something totally different. Mm -hmm. They might be the people that need you to mow the lawn. Right. They have plenty of food. And because you wanted to, you forgot to ask. You, right. You're doing something that, sure, it sounds like a great idea, isn't actually meeting the need that they have. And, and yeah. that's an yeah. important distinction. Yeah. Well, and we're having this discussion at Eastlake. I was at the elder meeting last night and, you know, mentioned to them that one of the things that we're finding out as we continue to grow as a staff and individually in these concepts of one helping hurts is we had some partners that we were trying to serve that it turns out we weren't really helping them. What we were really doing was asking them to work an extra day a week to create a serve opportunity for us. Now that's not true of every partner, but we needed to stop and say, how can we really help you? Not let's call them up and see what they can do to, you know, so that we can go serve them. 
And so, you know, even though we've all read this book, Ray and I, heck, we've been going out to small groups with this book for three or four years now. I mean, we still have things to learn as a staff. Mm -hmm. We do. I'm even learning things as a uh, leader of a ministry through this book. So this doesn't have to do specifically with like my neighbor, but it's really easy for me. It's easier for me to just look at what somebody's doing down the road that I admire and copy it versus pursuing a relationship with God and saying, what do you want for this ministry that you have entrusted me in? It's, I mean, so that's, that wouldn't be yeah. technically when helping hurts, but it's the same concept of this relationship with God that then helps you to do what's right for where you're at or where your neighbor's at or where your ministry's at or where your work is at. This relationship with God is crucial in order to get it right, or else we're just doing things to either make ourselves feel good, or we're doing things that somebody else has already done and it worked for them. I would love to be Maverick City Music. I mean, I want to be Maverick, but I'm not Maverick City Music. I'm not supposed to be. I'm supposed to be who God has called me to be. I would love to do something in my neighborhood or for somebody that, that really causes a big splash, but that might not be what I'm supposed to do. I might be needing to just have coffee with them and be there for them. And that doesn't cause a big splash at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, 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 it's a big eternal splash. Big eternal splash. But maybe, but what I know what you're saying, Philip, is mm-hmm. nobody might, no one might ever know what happened. Yeah. Right. For those in the heavens. And, and, and honestly, that's, if God sees it, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I'm, doing, I'm trying to do what he said. Yeah, I love that. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add on this one? I'm just coming off of this. I mean, it's kind of the kickoff series, but anything you're excited about or anything? Can you don't I have to have something, but wanted to open it up. Can I give a phrase real quick to encourage Michelle? Michelle, what I heard you say to us on Sunday was, and you used this wording, but they didn't come out quite this way, to be vulnerable bridge builders. So people who are pursuing the attitude of one helping hurts are vulnerable build, bridge builders. And the bridge builder who is overseeing the project is the perfect creator. So if I can become a bridge builder for him, I have the perfect plan in front of me for the situation I'm dealing with. So yeah. true. You know what, I'll add true. something, Rob. And this, this is not necessarily for Michelle or you, Rob. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wink at something Philip said when we first started. And I want to make sure we communicate this to our listeners. Philip said that he he struggles to retain stuff. And so in an effort to be a, a contributor to this podcast, he went back to listen to Pastor Michelle's message from Sunday. If someone was to ask you, hey, what was the message about on Sunday? And if you know regularly, this is something that you too struggle with because Philip was authentic and transparent. Why wouldn't you just go back and listen to it on your drive into work the next day? That way you were prepared to share with whomever you encountered what the Lord had given you mm-hmm. on Sunday through Pastor Michelle, through the Spirit, that preaching to you about what God wants to impress upon you. It's true. Yeah, it's worth it. And and if you're not going to be able to retain it, then why are you even bothering? You know, mm-hmm. and and I do that. I tell the, our team that all the time on Sundays, guys. We can't 
our job is not just to do lead worship here and go home. Our job is to grow in the spirit, grow in and grow in our understanding of Christ and, 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 uh, admiration of God, you know? And so you, it takes humility to do that. I, I say that to them because that's what I need to hear. I need mm-hmm. to remember this, not just about mm-hmm. me doing my job and getting things done. Well, it's Good. about growing and that takes humility and patience and all those all those good things well you guys are pretty good humans i'm glad i know you <laughs> um, i'm glad to call you we're friends. glad we yeah us too me too yes sir, yes, sir. well <laughs> we're gonna sign timing? off um what's that ray what's the timing you said 45 minutes well, how are we doing yeah. We're right there. We're right there at 45. Well, I've been watching it. We're, we're right at it. We can't, we can't talk anymore. This is it. Shh. We're out. Plus, it's probably getting time for everybody to go to bed. Sleep tight. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. All right. Love everybody. Bye. All right. Love you. Bye. <laughs> East Lake Community Church is an intentional, multicultural community empowered by the Holy Spirit. We passionately pursue a loving relationship with God and everyone Jesus was sent to die for, here, near, and far.